Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls, beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike. Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life, and being a dad and a husband. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. Presents the G1 Cast with Justin Nipper and Carlos Twelve. Hello, hello. Yo, Justin. You're listening to the G1 Cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. We're here for you with daily coverage of New, New Japan G1 Climax 30. We had a day off, but we're back. It's Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday early evening in the U.S. A Block Day 14, Hamamatsu Arena in Shizuoka. It's in the books. We are inching closer and closer to the finals towards the end of this week. It's all about the end point right now. So you can find Carlos on Twitter, on CarlosToro360, on Fightful.com, and on the Carlos Toro Media YouTube channel. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R, on Twitter as well. Okay, so yeah, I wanted to briefly give you guys an update on Jim Valley. We've been talking about, here's our, our buddy and our co-broadcasting colleague from the Wrestling Observer and FOW website. Um, I'm just going to read you what the GoFundMe wrote. This is what Josh Nason wrote on the page, so... Hi all, Jim has been moved to an acute care facility that will give him the specialized care he needs. It will be months before he's home, but he's very much in the fight. There are some other details in there. He's doing better. Um, it's like they said, it's going to be a fight for sure, but you know, it's been really cool to see so many people donating. I was looking at the GoFundMe page earlier today and just right on the right hand side of the page, it said, People had just donated within, you know, 30 minutes of me checking the website. So it's still happening and they're doing really well on that end. But God, it's tough and we got to help. So and if you wanted to find out more, you can go to the GoFundMe page. That'll be in the show links. So check that out. All right. Let's jump into the show. We're back. We had a day off. First one yesterday. Carlos, what did you do on your day off from the G1 cast yesterday? Oh God, I just, I just, just, just kept working. It was it, like it did not feel like a day off for me. Not, not because of the Japanese wrestling, but because there, I had so many different things to do. But hey, final, final week of the G1. 
it's uh it's been a journey it's been a journey justin yeah, and we can feel it because i was when i was watching the show last night it felt like the first of the last part of the g1 climax it f- didn't have the urgency or like excitement or mystery like i had last week say but it's more about the results of these matches will determine what happens in the end. So it kind of changes the dynamic of how you watch the match a little bit. Like the the ending of the matches seems like it's even more important because it, not only if like if somebody wins and somebody loses, you know, that's that, but the wins and losses in one match could affect somebody's uh, uh, not entry, but like their path to the finals. It could affect somebody else. So it's exciting, kind of. Yeah, we were we were just talking on the, on the last G one cast how Sonata kind of essentially got screwed out of potentially winning the B block because he did not uh, because he lost that very first match against Toriano. So as we mentioned, all these matches they they are important in one way or another. Even the ones where we kind of think to ourselves, and eh, these matches on paper are not going to be that good or that exciting. A lot of these matches matter. They matter, and there are little callbacks in all these matches that will probably, um, you know, have something to do with the finals or the final four matches. For example, like this money clip thing that we'll talk about later. I mean, we've started out, you know, a couple days into the G1 thinking, wow, Okada's having a quiet G1, and now I'm seeing that he went into a second gear last weekend, clearly, and almost all of his matches have been like 25, 27 minutes. And they are clearly some of the best matches of the tournament, including his one with EC last night. But um, yeah, we're starting to see more of the story unfold. And this is what that week, this is what this week is about. So yeah, let's just jump right into it. So briefly, we had the quote unquote C block match. Yuya Uemura defeated. Gabriel Kidd in a good match. It was short. It was a little um, chippier, I guess, than usual. And it ended with uh, Uemura getting the emphatic win after he shouted in Kidd's face and used the deadbolt uh, Kanuki suplex on Kidd for the win. Do you have anything, uh, I would say anything new to contribute other than what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks about these young lions. I mean, it was, it was a good match, but I mean, we've seen literally this match multiple times throughout the G1 tour. So at this point, and given their young line status, they're at times they're not, it's not like new Japan is limiting them, but as young lions, there is a certain way to wrestle and, you know, and it's very basic, sort of rudimentary type of wrestling, which is not bad. I mean, that can be good when done very, very well. I remember, hell, at the very start of, you know, this podcast adventure with you, we were talking about how Suwama, you know, as limited as he is in all Japan, because he does the simple things and the basic stuff so well, the matches are still good. And, you know, in, in a way, it's kind of similar here with the Young Lions, but, you know, we... It wasn't like this match was a barn burner or anything like and it's and at this point you've seen these two guys so many times and against each other so many times a lot of the matches just kind of to blend a little bit but you know it you know good match he 
Uemura beat Gabriel Kidd with a nice, you know, double overhook suplex, which I thought was really, really cool looking. And it's kind of like a counter to Gabriel Kidd's like butterfly suplex. So, you know, it's interesting to see where things stand between the young lions after this G1 tour is over. Yeah. And especially for these three young lions that have been kind of going at it each night, it's all about the final matches for these guys. I'm really excited to see the fi- the last their last matches like right now maybe tonight it'll be good but i think they're bringing the uh they're gonna go full blast in sumo hall so that's what i'm most looking forward to but yeah it was short it was good and we'll see more of them this week okay then we get to the a block action and i was surprised i felt like i saw this um this match being marketed as like maybe the main event or am I wrong about that? Or maybe I just, that was just in my head, I guess. But anyway, it was the first a block match of the, uh, of the night. I thought it was terrific. Uh, I have a lot to say about it, but, um, Carlos, what's your take on this one? Uh, it was good. It was good. Don't get me wrong, but I felt like their match at MSG was better. And in a way I thought that this was a match that, in a way, kind of harkened back a little bit to that one, but I thought that the MSG match was my, not miles better, but it was certainly better. There was an interesting thing, especially early on in the match, where Osprey was was back to kind of being like the cocky his cocky self, or or simply kind of showing off a little bit. And I love that Jeff Cobb had no time for any of. Osprey's tomfoolery. There, who you remember, like early on in the match where Osprey was going to do, you know, the the you know the handstand like spring uh, off the ropes type of backflip that he does to kind of wow the crowd a little bit. And Cobb was not willing to wait, and he just jumped onto the apron and grabbed an upside down Will Osprey, and almost I thought for a second, this is how good Jeff Cobb is. I thought they were legitimately going to do a Cobb power bombs Osprey out of the ring spot, which I thought I I genuinely thought like, oh crap, Jeff Cobb might kill him. But you know, but but it was a good match. It was all uh, the match was essentially devolved into Osprey's aerial offense is kind of getting countered every so often by Jeff Cobb's power. We finally saw the return of the quote unquote. I guess it's called the F five thousand, if I remember correctly. That's right. Where, Osprey, where it was like an F5, but instead of like spinning the dude around once with both arms, Cobb spun Osprey with one arm and Osprey did like three rotations or something like that, which is, God, that, that move is so, so good. Like the first yeah, thing. He, he turned Osprey into a human fidget spinner. Yeah. I, and honestly, it, it looked good here, but I thought the. The the one that he did on Kota Ibushi was even better. I think partially because of the surprise, and I think that I've never quite seen Cobb do a move like that before, but it was damn good. I was surprised that Cobb ended up getting the win because I thought Me I thought mm. uh, the stakes of Osprey's match against Ko, uh, Okada on Friday, I thought that was going to be something where you have two guys tied at the top of the A block winner, could potentially advance to the finals. So I'm, 
don't want to say like this almost confirms to me that Osprey is going to beat Okada, but like given the treatment he's been getting and the run that he was having prior to this match, like how do you how do you how do you have Osprey losing to Okada? Because like I don't want to say it negates everything that it that he did prior, uh, you know, in the first seven matches of the G One, but like it kind of ends it on a sour note that people are going to remember more about the recent stuff more than what he did in like, you know, week three or like a match three of the, of the G one. So curious to see where this goes. I don't, I, I honestly think Osprey is going to beat Okada. I think based on this match uh, result. Well, I have to play devil's advocate a little bit here because of last year's G1 and we had John Moxley who went on a crazy win streak. And then after the Yano loss, I believe he lost all of his matches. And even though that happened, I think the run was so good that that's what everyone ended up talking about mostly. So I think while Osprey's run here has been really good, I don't think it's been beyond anyone's expectations. It's which sucks because it's really good still. He's he's really talented, and this was one of my uh, more favorite like favorite matches of his. Uh, I liked his attitude in the ring. I liked when he's been t- he teases the Sasuke special. Usually, it, it's kind of like uh, kind of like early on in the match, he uses it as a tease spot. He might do it, then he goes and he does his pose. But in this match, he just he went right for it. There was no hesitation. Cobb is better and better with every match. And I think I have to go back and rewatch the MSG match because that was really exciting. And there was a huge crowd. They were at MSG. So, of course, it's going to change the makeup of the match. And the crowd in this match was pretty damn quiet. The, the crowd in general was quiet for the most part, unless it was uh, one of the higher spots towards the end. Uh, like one of the hotter finishes, one of the last three matches, but they're quite quiet and it's like a really wide open space. And um, it changed, yeah, it changed the character of the match. But I, I just wanted to, if you look at both of those dudes just in the ring from 2019 to right now, it's just over a year. And like how both of them have evolved is we're going to think that's really impressive by next year, considering where they're going. But Kudos to them. It was a great match. I liked it a lot. I, I heard other, like, it wasn't um, everyone's favorite, but I really liked it. I don't know. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I mean, and I liked that uh, Cobb won. Yeah. So it says something the, about I where mean, he's going. Cobb was arguably the performer of the card. Like, he was damn impressive. Like, Cobb has looked so damn well throughout this entire G1. Like, I cannot wait to see what he does next. Yeah. He's kind of like this year's Lance Archer. I, I, and I think and I think Cobb has performed better than Archer did last year. Oh, I mean, oh, I, I was just thinking more in the likes of like Lance Archer was. We saw him one way when he before he went to the G one, and after the G one, he came out different. I think that's one of the huge like bonuses or the most powerful aspects of the G one is it really it can effectively uh, change the perception of a wrestler in. A realistic time in a short time, a realistic way, but a relatively short time. So I'll, I'll have a better or more refined answer by the end of this one. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. So that was the first day block match and the next one of the night. Oh, man. Oh, man. We can just skip this if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So Ibushi and uh, uh, Takahashi, I mean, it was the longest 10, 11 minutes of this entire tournament. I, I, I thought to myself, like, what are we at, like minute 17 or something? I look at my clock, yeah. it's like, we're only nine minutes into this match. And Ibushi felt like he was trying so hard to have this be exciting, but it really just felt like a house show match or like a, uh, a Ibushi an Ibushi showcase match. It's not like uh, Yujiro did anything necessarily wrong. And actually, the last minute or two of this match was pretty good. It had a good like finish sequence. It was like I can't say it's bad, but it's just I didn't connect. I couldn't connect, and I felt like it was really hard to. I was really. I don't want to say bored, but th- nothing happened out of the ordinary. It was just. The problem here is that Yujiro's 0-8 and Kota Ibushi has a chance to win the A block. So already there is like you're coming into this match, like every G1 match, there is a chance of a big, big surprise. You know, hell, I don't think even though I predicted Toriyano would be Tanahashi, I don't think that many people, you know, thought the same way I did. But in this match, I, this is, I think, the first time in this entire G1 tournament where I was 100% confident of my pick right here. And, you know, and I, in a match that I wasn't really that excited about. And I felt like at times Kota Ibushi was selling too much for Yujiro Takahashi. Like, don't get me wrong. Yujiro has had some good matches. He hasn't had a great match, but he's had some good matches. But... I don't know. It just felt like a match that could have just that could have easily been like a five six minute squash, and I don't think anyone would have complained one bit. It, or if it was three minutes or something, I don't know. Whatever it is, it, it was what it was, and it, it didn't. I didn't see any furthering of the whole Bullet Club angle they've been kind of talking about. So. I'd rather just move on to the next match because, yeah. <laughs> sure, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Let's take a quick break from the G1 cast to talk about Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now, Indeed.com slash BlueWire, and this offer is valid through the end of the year, December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Because the next three were great. The next three were freaking awesome. So uh, first was Shingo Takagi defeating Taichi. In a very good match. No, Taichi beating very, Shingo Takagi. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Taichi defeating Shingo Takagi. In an exciting match, it one of, one of Taichi's really, really great performances of this G1. Really good. He did the last of the dragon. He did uh, Takagi's move really well, too. Mm. 
well, I, what is going on in 2020? I, uh, tai Chi. I don't know, but I tell you what, I think this was Tai Chi's best match of the entire G1. Like this, and not just that, I think this match alone established Tai Chi more as a credible heavyweight, more so than any other match he's had in this entire G1. And maybe it probably will be more impactful than the final match he's going to have on Friday. God, this match, everything about this match was really, really good. It started off nice, at a nice pace, wasn't, wasn't slow, very hard hitting. I was very, 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 very surprised that they didn't have, that they have Tai Chi win, do Last of the Dragon, kick out of both the Pumping Bomber and Made in Japan. And that, by the way, the Made in Japan pinfall, God, that was one of the best like 2.9 counts in, in this G1 because it was damn good. Yeah, I had one of those heart jumps. I, I was, I almost believed it. It was a very split second uh, shock, but that's very, I love that. That is a talent, the 2.99 kick out. I think guys like Okada are really, really good at it and consistent with it. And I don't know how to critique it other than you feel it when it's, you know, when they pull it off. So, yeah. And, you know, and like, and this was another match where, you know, the stakes, there is none. They, neither guy is holding. Well, okay. Well, Tai Chi's holding the tag team belts, but it's not like Shingo beats Tai Chi and then he gets an automatic title shot. Not now. There are no immediate stakes. Yeah. There's no immediate stakes whatsoever. It was just like, it's one of those cases where like Gato probably just told Shingo and Taijin, like, look, I know your match does, has absolutely no stakes in the G1 uh, at this point because both of these guys are eliminated. Just go out there and have like a killer 15, 16 minute match. And that's what they, that's what they did. It was so damn impressive. Taiji maybe hit the best Black Mephisto he's thrown in this entire G1. I I really like Tai Chi. I think his stock has raised significantly. Arguably, the guy whose stock has risen the most in this entire G1. Maybe up there with Jeff Cobb. Yeah, those are the two that I I definitely would mark. But I think a distant third would be Yoshihashi, but like a distant third. Yeah, and I I would also say. Now, hear me out on this. Uh, for a distant third with Yoshihashi, I would say a tie would be Shingo Takagi. Now, I think we all know he's great, but I think Shingo Takagi went from, oh, he's great, to, oh, he's going to be an important cog in the New Japan machine going forward. Because this guy is going like Ishii levels of intensity and quality match. And like you said, you said this might have been Taichi's best match of the G1 is it to do with who? Is it to whom rather? Is it to do with Tai Chi or is it to Shingo? I mean, we both know Tai Chi is capable of having some great matches, and it's no coincidence that you know he you know he he's good because of so many great matches that he's had in this tournament. But at the same time, you can't deny that it is almost impossible to have a bad match with Shingo. Like all of Shingo's matches have bordered between really good or incredible. Yeah. And I would say he had the best match of the tournament with 
um, Yujiro Takahashi. It was, um, I think it was on the first night of the G1 or one of the early nights. And it was in my memory and what I feel now light years away of and, and ahead of the match we saw with Kote Ibushi tonight, which I don't know how he does it. I, the, and the back to Taichi and Shingo, they both have so much personality too in the ring, especially they're really expressive, especially both of them. And in the kind of opposite ways in the heel way for Taichi and in a classic Showa era, really, really gambarze baby face with a badass attitude. He kind of sounds like, uh, like a character in boys, like Shonen manga. Like he, he really does sound like a character when he talks and I don't know how, Man, I don't know how to describe it, but some of the things he blurts out before he does moves, um, it's really like funny or or cool. Like I remember in the Ishii match during the G1 this year, he said something that would translate to like, he was about to run the pumping bomber and he said, I guess it would translate to, this is the last FN1 or something <laughs> like that. It sounds really badass and cool, kind of like a. I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to, to compare it to. It's just, he's him. Yeah, no, you know what? I, I I tried really hard to kind of pinpoint part of why I love Shingo so much, and I think that the he does look and act and fight like a guy that you see like in a shonen anime or shonen manga, like mm-hmm. and. Now that I think about it, I mean, I'm a guy that absolutely loves Shonen stuff. So I think I think that kind of answers why he just Shingo's just a badass, like no nonsense dude who just just wants to have great fights. I think I don't know if this is true or not, but I think since Bushi Road took over a couple of years ago, that emphasis on characters like like how Shingo is or how he talks or like the ring costumes or ring uh, where everybody wears now compared to the more traditional costumes people wore say 20, 25 years ago, like between Tanahashi, Takagi now, Okada, even Taichi, they all look like they could be straight out of a role-playing game or a comic uh, as far if you don't know anything about wrestling, you're just looking at them. They look like uh, larger than life uh, characters, but not in the w- traditional way in pro wrestling. Uh, it definitely l- lends to Takagi's appeal for sure. Okay. So that was great. Check that out if you can. I would definitely recommend that because it, it, around 15 minutes, all action. Yeah, Tai Chi, man. Okay. The next match we had Jay White and Suzuki. Another this is both of these guys have had an incredible run these past couple of weeks. Um I don't this was really kind of unique. Almost it's not like the Ibushi match, but it's similar in that it's kind of hard to describe exactly the, the atmosphere or vibe. What what would you what were your takeaways from this match, Carlos? In some regards, there were a lot of similarities between both of these matches in their move repertoire or the fight feel of it at times. But if you want to talk about a guy who has an incredible range 
as far as character and emotions between one match and the other that are kind of more or less similar in some regards. Like Suzuki is so good at expressing himself and expressing the emotions that is needed to convey the actual story in this fight, in this match. Because if you think about it, if you look, remember back the Dakota Bushi match, Suzuki, all he wanted was a damn good fight out of Kodobushi, and he got that. And it was something where Suzuki didn't even care that he lost the match. Like, he was smiling right as he got hit with the with the um, Kamigoye, and he was smiling after the match. But in this one, at times, Jay White was willing to play ball with Suzuki, but, he, but Suzuki was so teed off on... Jay White's tomfoolery and the Bullet Club shenanigans and hell, even at the start of the match where where Jay White was doing the two sweep with Gato and then Suzuki just did not want any part of it. I mean, both of these guys had, had a really good match, great action, not, not a ton of MMA stuff like similar to what we saw at the beginning of Suzuki's match against Kota Ibushi, but it was a match where you just looked at Suzuki and you just kind of wanted Jay White to like not necessarily get his come up, but we just get, you know, the, the living tar beaten out of him. Like it. Yeah, no, it's comeuppance. Yeah, it's his G1 comeuppance. Yeah, like in a, yeah, but in a way, like it's a different kind of comeuppance because we kind of sort of said the similar thing when Osprey beat JY. It's like, oh, it's like it's the comeuppance. But like this one, this it was not necessarily catharsis for, I mean, um, comeuppance for me. It's more like catharsis where you just want it to see. Like Jay White beat up almost at a point where like you don't care if Suzuki lost the match. Just just make sure Jay White's beaten up like real, real good. And we didn't really talk about much about the ending of the match, but I thought the ending of the match was great. So it was the typical bullet club Gato distracting the ref where Suzuki, I think he had, I think it was the he had Jay White. I forgot if it was a submission or the gotch pile driver, but Gato came in and distracted by the ref by pulling Red Shoes's leg, and then JY manages to quickly escape and hit the switchblade and get the win. And then Suzuki was so pissed off over the distraction, and let's be honest, Red Shoes being kind of a complete idiot. That Suzuki just went up in Retro's face, like grabbed him by the collar, and he needed like four different guys to restrain him. But it's like it's like both of these matches in some ways were fights. The the ones against Jay White and Ibushi, but Ibushi was the one who wanted who also was willing to fight, and Jay White at times didn't want to. So it was like such a dynamic change of how Suzuki looks at a wrestler and looks at a match and his feelings towards that match. It's, it's a very fascinating uh, uh, shift in attitude. It shows how uh, deep you can go with storytelling in the matches and comparing with, with, we're talking about the Ibushi match with Suzuki from earlier and you brought up the, the smiling. I noticed that too. And what that tells me what that says to me is that Ibushi, his character, whatever you call him when he's in the ring, to me, that just feels like 
an amplified extension of himself. Whereas uh, Jay White and Suzuki, they're doing a heel thing. So it's that plus um, a character or persona that they've developed. So that's where I think there's a divergence. In the Ibushi match, there was more of a... You could tell that Ibushi was very excited to have this match, whether... I don't know if it was... you could feel him enjoying it. And I, I think there was a vibe where it was exciting as a competition. Whereas here tonight, Jay White versus uh, Suzuki is more of um there are a couple more layers to it. There's not, it's not a baby face heel thing. It's not a, it's not a comp- uh, competitive fight or competitive match as much as it is as it is a fight. And there are other things going on around the outside of the ring, like the stuff with the ref or with Gato. So those elements gave it a different flavor, a different dynamic. And with Jay White matches, it never really stays inside the ring. There's always a lot of stuff happening outside. Um, But yeah, it just expands on the wrestler's persona. And with what they did in this match, they can expand on it for the rest of the year with Suzuki freaking out on red shoes. That's a whole angle right there. And I mean, his reaction is what, like, that's kind of how I feel after watching some of these and watching him turn his head. Sometimes it's like somebody has got to address it at least. And the fact that it's addressed, I think gave us a, a feeling of settled settlement. So, um, it's a very interesting match It's entertaining, but it's probably not exactly what you'd expect. I guess. Is that fair to say? I mean, a little. I mean, it's in, not, in sense, not like, totally different. Like we, but. like we knew there. Were, we, at the end of the day, let's be honest with ourselves. We kind of knew what it was going. We were going to get a good match. Suzuki was going to get his, you know, his shots in. But at the end of the day, there's going to be bullet club interference. Like there's, to be honest, like there was no reason for Jay White to lose in this match because the whole story is him in the finals. So, I mean it. Again, it's one of the. It's another case of like you kind of know what's going on and you know where it's going. So there's not the stakes, like the personal stakes, like as a viewer, aren't as high because you kind of know, like, all right, we, we know we know what the deal is at this point again. Like if this was a match that like took place at like week two or week three, it'd be a whole different story because we still don't know what the direction is going to be for either guy, but. At this point, like Suzuki is just going to get great matches, going to beat people up, and Jay White is going to try to cheat his way into the finals. Suzuki sort of functions like the like the New Japan gatekeeper because anybody that has to go through him in this G1, it seems like you know he's not aligned with anybody other than himself, that, that persona. So it's like whoever you put in front of him, he's just going to give them a hard time. He's like a, a really difficult boss on a side-scroller game. Not the top one, but the one that always gives the rest of the fighters trouble, for sure. Oh, and I wanted to mention one little detail I thought was really interesting was that there was a point in the match towards the end where Gato was loudly calling for the the TTO, that, that knee bar submission that he used on Tanahashi. And he goes, Jay, TTO, TTO. And he, he tried locking it on, and within a few seconds... Suzuki reversed it into some kind of single leg crab, but that little, little detail right there. I don't know if that'll pay off again. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but 
we're talking about the future possible program with Evil and JY and Gato. Is Gato going to do a double turn? Um, this could be a part of it. That's that's how they work. Those seeds are there, or it could be nothing. And uh, you know, pro wrestling is pro wrestling. It, 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 it's up to what happens in the end is up to somebody. It's decided. So we'll see. Um, I feel like there's no way. That, I feel like Jay White and Ibushi are going to be in the finals in the A block. I, I, I can't see it any other way other than with Okada, but I, I feel like it's inevitable. Inevitable. Yeah, it, Do you feel that way or, or am I, am I, oh. I, I, at this point, I still think that it's almost anyone's game. I think to me, it's almost a two man race between Jay White and Kota Ibushi, because I think with Osprey, we'll get into that a little more, but real quickly, like Osprey is going to need like, multiple things to happen just to be able to have a chance to hopefully have the new Japan brass be like, okay, mathematically he's not eliminated from, from the a black when it's all sudden done. So we're just going to have like some massive extra match tiebreaker. We'll have to see what happens. I'm excited for the next day block um, show in a couple of days. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm, well, now that I think about it, I'm actually starting to get more and more convinced that Okada could actually win the whole tournament. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised too. Like, yeah, let's go right into that. The main event, which for me, I thought this was Okada's best match of the tournament. I did like this a little better than the Takagi match. I thought Ishii was brilliant. I like really who's who's better than Ishii right now? I I honestly in the ring. I'm saying not not as a draw, not as um a personality who sells lots of merchandise, just as a, a performer in the ring. I don't know who can top that for real been, been, like been saying this for like six seven years Ishii's like one of the five three five best workers wrestlers bell to bell in the world and like every year and every almost every single match he's in he always convinced you know reaffirms that uh that statement of mine reaffirms and then kind of goes above that a little bit too i mean he's had a hell of a year Every time he's on, he's great. Every time I'm on, I'm excited to see what will happen, especially if it's a singles match. He's consistent. He He's such a great representation of the whole patchwork of wrestling in Japan. He, there's so many. Oh, my God. The, he did the Ricky Lariat just like Ricky Toshu did. I don't know if anybody caught that, but he laid in the Lariat just like Ricky Toshu would, and then he he... He did the thing, the, the taunt where Choshu points at the guy laying down on the mat like he's it's down, going for the pin, and just falls flat on him. It's the exact same gesture. It was such a great ode to Ricky Choshu, one of his trainers. Damn it. Like I love I love stuff like that. <laughs> but Okada was brilliant in this too. I mean, uh so Carlos, would you say this was better, worse, same level as this Takagi match with Okada? It's at the very least on the same level. I, I would maybe say that the Shingo match, I probably enjoy. It's like maybe just a smidge more, but like we're talking like minuscule levels more. This match was awesome. And I don't remember if I actually said this on the last show that we did, but I thought that Okada Ishii was going to steal the show. 
because, you know, you put Okada coming out of that amazing match against Shingo and you then put him up against Ishii in the main event. Like, how could you not have an unbelievable match? And these two had one of the best matches in the whole G1. And I don't want to say like it followed the Okada formula or anything like that, but this match, it had a lot of great stuff. The great back and forth that Ishii like proved like his toughness, like, no other before Okada that really, really funny, not funny, but I thought it was like very nice where Okada hit, hit a DDT on Ishii and then he slapped Ishii, which is, was like, Oh no, that's not a good, that's not good. And then Ishii gets back up and then does like some really killer elbows and Okada just went down. He just got, and Ishii like just almost like he was about to murder him. And it was just another like instant, like Ishii is like maybe the most legitimate badass in wrestling or one of the most badass wrestlers in, in the world today. This match was damn, was really, really pleasant. Like we, we could go move for move, but like even then, like just describing the moves almost doesn't exactly do the match justice. We can we we could just say this match was fantastic. I would say this match arguably did a really good job in putting the money clip over because I not gonna lie, I actually thought that Ishii sold the money clip a lot better than Shingo did because. Ishii kind of was, was, you know, was unconscious after after the match. And then he sold it, like, in such a way that you kind of thought, like, like, this guy's, like, dead. And, like, you saw the, the young lions and the and the rest of the staff just kind of rushing towards Ishii and just, like, doing their best to, like, revive him. Like, like this match really, I thought it was the first time where I kind of looked at this and said, okay, I can see the money clip being like a devastating submission. Like I can, I can finally see, and I credit that more to Ishii than Okada. Yeah. How he sold it after the match. That's how, that's what happens. If a person legitimately gets choked out, you got to lift their legs up over their heads. So the, the blood flows back. That happened to me once. Oh boy. Um, I was with a brown belt at my dojo when I was in Tokyo. And um, he caught me with of such a perfect, it's called an Ezekiel choke or like it's a, it's a one. I don't know if it was an Ezekiel choke, but it was definitely like a choke with the, uh, the kimono, like the collar lapel. Mm-hmm. And it went to, to, you know, when you feel it, you there, if it's painful, the guy's not doing it right. It's, it's not supposed like those kind of chokes aren't, you're not supposed to feel any pain. It's supposed to um, collapse your windpipe and you can actually feel the, I, I felt my windpipe kind of, it's rubbery. It kind of like bends and your voice starts you know, wheezing, your throat starts wheezing. And I didn't feel anything. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting, I'm on my back, but, uh, you know, fighting back. Blah, blah, blah. And then I heard a really loud sound in my head. It sounded like, uh, like a really loud air conditioner going. And all I could think about is, Hey, do you guys hear that? And then a minute later, my feet were like, uh, uh, Nomura was holding my feet like that. Cause I guess I was out of it. It was really weird, but that's exactly what she did last night. It's real. I swear. Cause that happened to me, but for real, 
and much it was too money clip either. Yeah. So I, I, Ishii, Ishii is brilliant. His selling, did you notice when he sold the DDT and then he sold his lower back and spine Yeah. after he was like drilled on top of his head? I've noticed Ishii has been kind of selling the back just a little bit or even selling different parts of his body throughout the G1. I mean, I, that's kind of when it goes back to any like catch wrestling, submission wrestling, jujitsu, it's like he, he's selling where he's selling body parts where the moves would actually create pain if that like if you twist a a limb a certain way because of how the body is structured another part like if you do a a kimura lock people call they people call it a double wrist lock right but i always i I get it because you're locking the wrist but actually the pain is on the shoulder not the wrist it's actually shoulder lock so it's like you pull one lever and another lever kind of uh, it goes one way and the other one goes the other way. Same with muscles. So I kind of lost my point with that, but yeah, well, that, that there's your free crappy lesson from Justin today. Um, yeah, no, Ishii's brilliant. His selling has been brilliant and he's selling um, in such a realistic way. He, he wrestles with like a kind of integrity about the the fight game, the idea of it. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's like, he's so committed to making this feel real that it's so easy to get behind because he's trying so hard, but it doesn't look like it. But we know that because we study it. So I think that's one of the great things about EC. He really, he's the wrestler that keeps on, like he always rewards you. If you, if you like him, that's what you're getting and more every time. Yeah. God, man. This match was great. Ishii is amazing. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, he is. And this was an amazing finish. So, All right, one more break before we get back to the G1 cast with Justin and Carlos. We're talking about Bet Online. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all in one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Um, so for the next card, do you have the lineup in front of you, Carlos? I do. So tomorrow, New Japan is going to be in Kanagawa at the Yokohama Budokan. And it's Yotasuji versus Yuya Uemura. Yoshihachi versus Kenta, Juice Robinson versus Zack Sabre Jr., Toriyano versus Tetsuya Naito, Hiroki Goto versus Evil, and then lastly, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Sonata. So as far as the stakes involved and uh, like who's going to win, you know, the B block, you can it's really not that important if you miss out the first half of this show. I mean, maybe Kenta... Because there is, and I did not know this, but Kenta is still technically, mathematically not eliminated from the tournament. Huh. It's good. It could act as a spoiler, maybe. I I guess, but like, here's the problem. Like, 
Kenta is going to need like 10 different things just to be able to force like a bizarre, stupidly insane tie at first, just to be able to have a chance of advancing the B block. With the way that the things have been going on, I think like putting Kenta at the, at the top of the B block, I think at this point, like you're doing so many like mental gymnastics, whereas like if you really wanted to put Kenta over and win the B block, you could have given him a couple of more wins and instead of relying on some like calculus level type of you know, tiebreaker just to be able to justify Okada. I mean, Kenta being in in the finals. I don't know what the plan is for him, and I don't know whether he's planning on doing more USA stuff or uh, stuff in Japan. So we'll see. He has a match with the Yoshihashi, who hasn't, who is kind of cooled off. Um, I, I maybe this will be the time where they give that Yoshihashi give Yoshihashi that win over you know. A heels heel that might be really satisfying. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's low. St- I guess it's more like um, you know local stakes. I guess it's just the stakes of that match itself. Um, Yoshiashi might get his first win or no second win. Uh, Kenta could get a win and possibly act as a spoiler. Though uh, I, if I had to put money on it, I would say probably not. And I'm gonna say just Kenta or maybe maybe Yoshiashi wins. I don't know. Yeah, I'm interested because Kent has been very funny, maybe, and he's been very mean to Yoshihashi, which I, I want to see how they interact. <laughs> so it could be entertaining at least. Um, and he arguably had the best show on the last B block card with Toriano. Oh yeah, well, it was certainly the most enjoyable match in my opinion. Well, I guess we'll have to look out for the athletic tape. I don't know if he's going to be carrying it in the attaché case or not. Oh boy. I mean that 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 briefcase is like almost in tatters at this point. Like I don't know you if it's smart to even put anything in there. I hate it. I hate that it, it's like it just looks so WWE to me. Like it's uh, it's so they could do something else. I I hate when stuff is clearly derivative like that. It's like I get it, and you could use that as a weapon, yada yada. But it could. There's so many other things you could do. Just like 30 seconds of creative thinking would solve that problem. You could just but not give them anything. Yeah, really. I mean, I mean, I guess they want to keep. Uh, uh, you know, uh, they want to use it as MacGuffin, and I don't. I don't know what the thoughts are, but I just don't. I, when I see that, I just think. Uh, it's like a WWE idea. So it should just like, it's cool. It's fine when WWE does it. It's, it's been there, but you know, when you see it on impact or somewhere else, you go, I, it's just like, it feels bootleg a little bit. I, I don't like that feeling. I think they could, and it doesn't even look good. It's like, it has like tape on, it says Tanahashi that the Kenta wrote. It just, he looks like a, and it's red and he's wearing all black. It's just an eyesore. It really is. <laughs> uh, yeah, you want to break down the rest of the card? We got Juice Robinson, Zack Saber next. Yeah, that's that'll be a good match, you know. But in the case where, like, well, in this one, both of these guys are are actually eliminated. So, I mean, if you're a fan of both of these guys, which I am, you know, you're more than likely still going to watch it. But just don't come into the match assuming that there's going to be any major stakes at all, because there isn't. Hmm. I imagine they'll have a good match for what a great a good to great match for what it is uh yeah i mean good for juice he's ha- he's, he's been great this year yeah. 
he's been really he's entertaining his promos are hilarious um yeah we'll see yeah we'll see how flamboyant he gets we have not uh, do we expect any of the top three guys in the B Black to lose? Naito against Yano, Evil versus Goto, and Sonata versus Tanahashi. I can see Tanahashi beating Sonata. I can see that happening. Guess we're going to go along I, with the Sonata has eight points. And so he has to find, and so he's going to keep keep at it with with eight points just like he does in every single g1 oh my god like i still can't get over that stat that sonata has literally finished with a four and five record in every single g1 of his career weird i mean that's like the quantifiable stat of a ultimate mid carter right yeah <laughs> it's it's proof i mean he's never i mean he's not ever bad he's quite impressive as a performer but he's never booked to you know, he's never booked in a position to be a winner. He's booked as a half and half guy. And I don't know, sometimes that plays a part in what we think about the wrestler. If we, how much we support him, I think, but you know, it's tricky and it'll depend on what happens there. Uh, maybe it could happen, but this seems less, it seems more set in stone. What's going to happen. I mean, to me, it's clear Naito and probably evil, I think that's the main story. Although, yeah, I believe Toriano beat Naito in a few minutes last year in the G1. So, I, I mean, Toriano is the king of pro wrestling, so who knows? He is. He is. So we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know what to expect out of that one. So uh, there's intrigue in, in Yano and Naito. Goto and Evil. Um, I don't know what to think about that match, to be honest with you. I suppose I'm just going to hold out on having any opinion until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I, I really don't know if I can supply anything that's interesting to you guys out there that you are, if you're already listening to it, you probably have a good feeling too where this is going. Uh, maybe Goto will pull out a win. He's been kind of pulling out some upsets, but I don't think any of the results tonight will have a long-term effect that the feedback loop is small. So. Yeah, I mean, even if, like, hell, even if Sonata loses, he still comes into the final match against Evil with some personal stakes and could play as a spoiler. So who knows? Who knows what will um, what will happen? We didn't even discuss, like, the standings for the A block, which is it really, really weird. So it's Ibushi, Jay White, and Okada tied at with 12 points, and then Osprey at 10 points, but he's still not eliminated he needs to beat okada and for abushi to lose and for jay white to lose and pray that the new japan upper management will just say ask it. all four of you guys are going to be in a four-way match at the g1 finals and the winner advances to the actual finals i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that won't happen yeah. But I, I, for me, I think Osprey is effectively out of the tournament, and I think yeah. his ma- his next match is more for just we're gonna have a like I think they're just hey let's have the best match we can have. It doesn't matter. It's not a G one type match. It's almost like an exhibition match. Some of these kind of feel like that at this point. Yeah, I mean it's possible. I mean, yeah. Oh, if Okada wins, he Okada still would still need. Ibushi and Jay White to lose. So I'm guessing just based on the stakes, I can probably see Jay White versus Ishii being the main event. 
of the A Block Finals, but that's just me. Or B Block? Or A Block, A Block. Yeah. Yeah, Ishii, Ishii and Jay White? Or Ibushi? Did you say Ishii or Ibushi? No, I said uh, Ishii. Oh, Ishii, yeah, okay. And they haven't wrestled, have they wrestled yet? Nope, nope, that's gonna be the, uh, that's, that's in the A Block Finals. And we still don't know the, um, we still don't know the match order, so... That's right. So, I mean, yeah, it proves it's, I guess that's what the most important point of these shows this week are. The matches are going to be great, but the results are going to determine the finals. And, and you know, so, and hell, even the match order can maybe even give you a clue as to what will be the results, because there's no way New Japan's going to put the last match of the A block finals and it'd be a match that like, Oh, well, I mean, it's a sort of more or less decided what's going to happen. So the result doesn't matter as much. I think they want to save the match that will matter the most as the main event. Mm. Yeah. The match that they want to be the main new Japan story of the moment. So I, I to me, I'm looking at four to five guys in, in this. I'm looking at Okada. He's the outlier. I, I, I'm going to actually, I might put him out of it, but I wouldn't be surprised. But the, the four to me look like Naito, uh, Naito, Evil, Ibushi, Jay White. That, that I think is going to be the final four. Maybe Ibushi, Okada. But uh, who knows? It's a very wait and see situation. Yeah. So, so yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Carlos? No, he kind of pretty much covered it. I, I just wanted to really quickly bring up the the, the standing sting and and also another a stat that that was really funny. So Yujiro Takahashi is zero and eight, and if he loses his final match, which let's be honest, it's very very likely that it's gonna happen. Hmm. Uh, because it's again Jeff Cobb. He'll be the first guy since 2014, which was uh, Tomaki Homa, to go an entire G1 without winning a single match, or even, or, or or more so, not get a single point. Do you think that has that stat has any value in the company? <laughs> I mean, it could, because I in in sports, no, it doesn't. But this is pro wrestling, so. Like these, these are stats and they're real stats. Like we were talking about Chris Amps' stats earlier and I was talking about, I use these stats so I can get different points of views and different angles when I'm writing. I mean, it, between that and some of the newer resources over the past couple of years, th- there's stuff to pull from. So maybe Ujira's losing streak is beneficial to the company they needed a guy to take pins and not be horrible. And he wasn't horrible. That's, I will say that. I, I will say that with confidence that Yujiro Takahashi was not horrible in the G1. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, not terrible. So I guess in some way he kind of exceeded expectations, expectations that were <laughs> almost non-existent to begin with. Uh, I feel, I feel, I feel like that's mean, but. Well, let's be honest. If it weren't for the pandemic, will we even see Yujiro in, in the G1? I think, yeah, I think they would probably be more um, outside stars because this was very New Japan centric. Like the core roster was the G1. And that's, it's usually like scattered out and there's a little more going on. But yeah, no, I I don't think we would have seen them. Um, But 
we do seem to see one or two wrestlers every year that serve that function. There will be wrestlers who just they eat it and they don't score any points and between you know zero and four maybe. But hey, that's the nature and the beauty of the G one, I suppose. So yeah, wild stats and. If that's it, I think for Carlos, I'm Justin. We're going to be back in a little while. We'll see you tomorrow. So everyone, see ya.